Hey guys, thanks for joining the Radiate Church podcast today. I'm Brandon, the lead pastor here at Radiate, and I'm honored that you jumped in to hear this message. I hope that it challenges you, inspires you, and leads you to the life God intends. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, you guys will be seated today. Thank you so much. I'm uh, Pastor Nick, as uh, Pastor Brandon introduced me there, and, and I know that uh, he's a good friend of mine. I met him when he came to God's country, a.k.a. Georgia, and when he was there, uh, he preached at a, uh, a summer camp, and that's where I got to know him, and, and since then, I've learned a lot from him and gleaned a lot from him, and, and uh, really, he's helped out our church tremendously. And I want you guys to know that your pastor, including you, if you're a part of this church, you guys have helped us out at, at the Jefferson Church in, in ways that you don't even uh, know, so I'm, I'm excited to be here. Uh, by the smiles on your faces, I could tell that you're excited to be here, and you look good. My grandmother said that's half the battle. So like if you look good today, half the day's over with. You're fine. That's good. Turn to somebody and say, you look good. Now turn to your second choice and say, hey, you look good too. Now that they know they're your, you're their second choice. Um, I'm, uh, I'm from originally from Athens, Georgia, which is uh, the home of the Bulldogs, and um, amen. And uh, and uh, I can tell that's my amen corner right there. I got gotcha. you. Uh, like I said, it is God's team. Uh, you know, he, he bled uh, red on the cross, and uh, he forgave our sins, black, red, and black. There you go. So uh, it's, uh, it's God's team. Uh, but uh, I want to introduce to you just for a second uh, my beautiful wife who's with me today, Chanel. She's right here on the front row. Can we give her a hand? I made her stand up the first service. She said, don't you tell me to do the second service, so I didn't. Uh, and then our son is actually with your kids' program. Uh, one of our sons, his name is Houston. He's a year and a half. He's the coolest kid uh, in the world. He's awesome. We also have a, another son. He's four. His name is Judah. And uh, a daughter who's eight, her name is Brooklyn. And the cool thing about Judah is that it, in, in the biblical uh, narrative, it means praise the Lord. That's what Judah means. And the reason why we named him Judah is because we knew he was going to do bad stuff just like any other kid in the world. He's going to do bad stuff. And uh, when you fuss at him, you're still praising God. So, like, if Judah does something, you're going, you're going, Judah, stop it. So you're really saying, praise God, stop it. Like, that's really what you're saying. And uh, so, it, we, you know, it kind of helps out. We're always praising God every day because he does something bad. It seems like every day. But anyway, um, it's a great season uh, of parenting, great season to be a pastor in a great church. And I just want you to know, uh, Pastor Brandon Goff, uh, as I said, I look up to him, just an amazing, amazing, amazing uh, man of God. And just I saw him at art conference, and every time I see him, he just encourages me, and I'm, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to find pastors that will look at you and not tell you about all the things that are going wrong, but will focus on all the things that God is doing right in their community, in their church. And I'm telling you, that's who he is, and that he really encouraged me when I was at the art conference this year. Um, so uh, if you're looking for a home church, um, don't go anywhere else. This is the best home church you could possibly find. The, the grass doesn't get greener on the other side. It's artificial turf on the other side, okay? So, uh, so anyway, I'm uh, happy to be here uh, today, and um, I just want to get started with uh, Mark chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn to Mark chapter 8. Um, but before we go uh, there, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into uh, today's service. Father, we thank you again for this time. Thank you again for this opportunity that we have to be in your house, in your presence. What an amazing uh, day it's already been. Just the, even the song selection, Build My Life, it fits so perfectly um, into what today is going to be about because uh, you've called us to be a witness and, and, and a testimony 
to those around us. So open up our eyes and wonder today. God, show us, show us who you are and what you are through the full gospel of Jesus Christ and through your word today. Thank you so much. Uh, for all that you've given us and all you've done for us, the salvations, the three salvations this morning, first service. Thank you so much for those lives. I pray that you would just help them to find their next steps. And, um, and Lord, thank you that UGA will win the national championship next year. In name we pray. Amen. You know your head coach is from Georgia. You know that, right? If, if you're a South Carolina guy, yeah. I, okay. Um, as, they told me, as they told me first service, wrong crowd. They, you, can't, you can't say those jokes here. But um, anyway, I, I want to talk to you this morning on the gospel is bigger than you think. The gospel is bigger than you think. I don't know about many of you in the room today, and a lot of us will be, be kind of polarized on this subject, but I'm an action movie kind of guy. Like, I'm an Aven- Avenger, you know, Justice League, uh, Mission Impossible, anything with Denzel in it where he's going to kill somebody. I'm that, like, I'm there. That's my kind of movie, you know. I'm in the theater. Amen. I'm in the theater. I'm ready to go. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, is not. She is a we television, own television, and lifetime television kind of person. Can any ladies? say amen in the house. Um, Christmas lifetime movies are like her addiction. It's her drug. She could do it 24-7 if, if it was allowed, or like if, even if I didn't just go, <sighs> every time you see a movie like that and you see lifetime on the bottom screen, as husbands, we all go, oh, like that's just what we do in, in our hearts and sometimes verbally, and we get slapped for it. But anyway, uh, she, she loves those movies, and so um, uh, whenever she watches these movies, I normally don't uh, watch them with her. One day, she was watching a movie, Lifetime on the bottom third of the screen. I'm not going to watch it. So I, I get ready to leave, and she says, before you leave, she says, if you're not going to watch this movie with me, you can't come in halfway. Because a pet peeve of hers is when you come in and asking questions, well, why is this happening? Why is this going on? What, what, what's the background of this? Who's that guy? Like, that, that, that's her pet peeve. And so I go outside, not going to watch Lifetime. Whatever I was doing outside, obviously it could wait. I didn't want to cut the grass or something like that. Walk inside halfway through the movie, and she's watching a movie called The Notebook. Any woman in this room ever heard of the, the, the movie The Notebook? And uh, so she's watched this movie halfway through, and it's cut in between an older couple. The, the man's telling this woman a story. The woman has Alzheimer's, and there's this young couple, and they keep fighting and, and fussing and, and, and throwing things at each other and yelling, all that kind of stuff. It's a very, very confusing movie. And so I watched half of The Notebook all the way through, and by the time I got to the end, I made the greatest discovery ever. I went, this is the dumbest movie in the history of movies. But my wife says, you got to watch the whole thing because you're missing all these parts. It's just flying right over your head. And, and I wonder if, if in this room, if you've ever walked into a movie halfway, or maybe you've heard a, a sermon halfway, or maybe you've walked into a situation in your life halfway through the conversation and things just started kind of flying over your head. It was kind of above your area of reasoning. I, I feel like oftentimes when we look at the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that we have kind of dumbed down the message a little bit too much or watered it down or maybe even gotten the Cliff Notes version. How many of y'all Cliff Notes saved y'all in high school? You know what I'm talking about. Um, we've gotten the Cliff Note version of the gospel kind of in our train of thought, in our, in our mind, and because of that, we are missing some essential key pieces to what the full gospel of Jesus Christ is really all about. And so sometimes if we really want to see who Jesus is, it's not necessarily looking into other areas of, of, of the gospel message. It's not necessarily looking into other podcasts or things like that. Most times and more times than not, if you simply read the Bible, can I get an amen there, somebody? 
Podcasts do not help you live a better life. The Word of God helps you live a better life. Podcasts should be preaching the Word of God. That's really what it should be. Uh, but as I, as I was saying, I, we, we sometimes we can miss an essential message of Jesus simply because, now listen to me, simply because we, we've learned or heard or Sunday schooled or whatever it is, the watered down, maybe halfway cliff note version of the gospel. Because the, the word or the term, the gospel, you should instantly think of a few things and most of you in this room, the gospel means that Jesus, or the gospel equals, that Jesus was born of a virgin, that's right everybody, that he lived a spotless and blameless life, that's right, he died for our sins, that's right, he rose again, and if I put my faith in him and surrender my life to him, he forgives me of all my sins that I've got, and then I have my ticket to heaven. Can somebody give an amen in the house that that's, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the message that we have, but if you think about it, is that all the gospel is? Is that it? Is, is the gospel simply the plan of salvation and that's all? Is the gospel simply focused on you and how you get your ticket to heaven and how you don't need to go to hell and you don't want to die and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, you, you, you walked into a church one time and the pastor said, if you don't turn, you're going to burn like that, you know. And you're just like, oh, I don't want to burn it. And so you, you give your life to Jesus. And, and there's the, maybe is the gospel, is it the plan of salvation? My argument today is that I don't think that's it. I think we don't serve a God that simply can make, use the gospel and say, okay, it's this one thing. It's not just one little, but, but it's, it's more than that. It, it should really uh, lead us in a different path of life, obviously, and should, should save us, obviously. But there are other parts to the gospel that maybe I feel like we're not necessarily getting. Because if you read the book of Mark, which is where we're going to be today, if you read the book of Mark, it's the shortest book in the Bible, the most to-the-point book in the Bible. All throughout the book of Mark, it's saying, and then they went here, and then they went here, and then they went here. So it's not lagging behind, maybe like John, focusing on one scene for 12 chapters. It's going from chapter to chapter, verse to verse. Jesus went, Jesus goes, Jesus is here. So it's to the point. It's right there. It's going. It's, it's the most action-packed book of, uh, of the Gospels, the book of Mark is. But when you look at the book of Mark, there's not this definition of this is the gospel Bam. Like, this is the, the gospel is the plan of salvation. And since it's not there, it leads me to believe that maybe the gospel is just a little bit more than what you think it is. Maybe the gospel is just a little bit more. Maybe it has a little bit more to do with not just you, but there's some other equation. There's something else out there that Jesus wants you to see. And if you read the book of Mark, it becomes extremely obvious to us. That in this church, you have core values, and that's what you've been speaking on for the past four or five Sundays. And that one of the core values that, that you talk about, and the thing that, that I was asked, the thing that I, I, I asked him if I could speak on this today, is that we serve with exceptional love, or we serve with excellent love. And if you are part of this church, and the DNA of you is in this church, then you should know that is what you are about. But I want to I tell you something, that serving is a part of the gospel. And it's proven in the book of Mark right here. So, so, so if, if we look at the gospel message of Jesus, the gospel not only saves us, but listen to me, the gospel should transform us from the inside out. Not just give us a, a ticket to heaven, but it should transform us while we are here on earth, from the here uh, until we die. It should transform us from the inside out. Can I get an amen from somebody today? So the gospel's bigger than you think it is, really. It's just, it's bigger. Mark chapter 8, verse 22 is where we're going to start today. Mark 8, 22. It says, he took the blind man 
by the hand, and he led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, he put his hands on him. And Jesus asked, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees simply walking around. And once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes, and they were open, and his sight was restored. And then he saw everything clearly. So the man was blind. Jesus touched him, and he was healed. He was saved of his infirmity, but it was a little bit hazy. It was a little bit foggy. It wasn't, it was a little blurry to him. Jesus had to touch him a second time before it became clear. What I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do today is to touch you a second time. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to not simply tell you that, that, that the gospel is simply salvation because salvation is extremely important, and if that's all it was, then that'd be good enough. But I'm telling you, the gospel is more than just simply salvation. And I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to touch you a second time so that you could see the gospel in a more clear fashion. Verse 27 is the center of the book of Mark. It's the climax of the book of Mark. Verse 27 says this, Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? That's a question you could ask yourself. Who, who do I think God is to me? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Now, what Peter meant by that, he, he meant that the Israelites, the, the people of Israel, they were looking for a Messiah, a Savior. They'd been looking for him for 800 years. He had been prophesied 800 years before that there would be a Savior, there would be a Messiah, and that he would come. So the Israelite people were looking for this, and the Messiah, the Savior, they were thinking of was a king somebody that ruled over, somebody that defeated great armies. And right now they were under the oppression of one of the greatest armies in the history of humanity, which was the Roman Empire. They were under the oppression of them. And so when Peter said, you're the Messiah, he was thinking in his mind, you're the guy that's going to come and slap some heads around. You're the guy that's going to put Israel back on top. You're the guy that's going to overthrow the Roman government for us. And by and large, most people that followed Jesus believed that's what, that's what he was there for. But Jesus said in verse 30, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them, watch this, that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be, what's that word? That does not sound like a conquering war hero to me. That doesn't sound like necessarily what, what you would think of when you're going to overthrow a government to be killed in the line right before it all happens, and then three days later, rise again. Now, that's the gospel according to us, but in verse 32, he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, and he said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, we're looking at Peter going, why would Jesus rebuke Peter? All Peter is telling Jesus is like, look, you, you say you're going to die, but I mean, come on, be a little positive. Like, you know, maybe you won't die. Maybe you're really going to do what you say you're going to do. Maybe you're really going to overthrow the government. Come on, Jesus, quit this like stinking thinking kind of mentality. Just be positive. Like that's essentially what Peter is rebuking uh, Jesus over. And Jesus rebukes him back and, and, and says that, look, that's not how it's going to go with me. Verse 34, then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples. Listen to me. This message today is not for the spiritually elite. It's not just for the pastors. It's not just for the heroes of the faith. It's not just for the extremist believers in the room or the most zealous believers in the room. This message is for everybody. He turned from his disciples to the crowd. 
And this is the message that he spoke. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever, now now listen to this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his own soul? Jesus is saying, I'm the king, you're right. I'm the king, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, but I'm the king that's going to die for the world. I'm the Savior that's going to make everything right so that you can have a relationship with God. And if you're going to follow me, you are going to have to follow my example that if I give my life for the world and you're going to follow me, you have to give your life for the world as well. You have to follow in my footsteps. So it's not just a Jesus forgiving your sins kind of thing. There's there's more to it. If you're going to be my disciple, there's more to it. You see, Jesus forgiving your sins is true but it's only part of the gospel, only part of it, because the gospel is a lot bigger than you think it is. It's a lot larger than you think it is. It includes more. So basically, Jesus is saying in this moment that if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross, throw away your agenda. Listen to me, mom and dad. Listen to me, family. Throw away your agenda and place on God's agenda, Jesus' agenda on your shoulders. That's bearing your cross. And oftentimes, you know, uh, you, you hear people going to work on Monday mornings. they got to get up early and go to work on Monday and fight that traffic. And you hear somebody say, well, I'm just bearing my cross. No, that's not what bearing your cross means, okay? Or like you got to go to a cubicle and you're sitting next to somebody that is annoying as all get out, probably a UGA fan, right? They're annoying as all get out. And, and you're just going, well, I just got to bear my cross for eight hours. That is not bearing your cross. When Jesus said bear my cross, the disciples knew exactly what he meant. This is why. Ten years before the ministry of Jesus began, a decade before, the Roman government had come in and tried to, 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 to squash a ruse, to try to squash a rebellion, took Pharisees by the hundreds, religious leaders by the hundreds, and crucified them and used their bodies on to, to line the roads going in and out of Jerusalem. They knew what crucifixion meant. They knew that when Jesus said, take up your cross, be crucified as I'm going to be, when, when, they, when he said that, it meant my life ends right here. My life stops. My life ceases to continue the way that I want it to go, and I now pick up the agenda, the life, the example of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel according to Jesus and according to Mark. But it's bigger than you think it is. The gospel is bigger than you think it is. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, as we continue reading, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then in between there, there was some argument about keeping the law. And and essentially, this guy, he was a pretty good guy. How many pretty good guys do we have in the room? Any pretty good guys? You don't think very highly of yourself. Nine o'clock thinks more highly of themselves than 1130 does, but that's okay. The saved people are at 1130. Can I get an amen there? (laughs) Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and and loved him. He says, one thing you lack to the good man. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. You see, he said, one thing you lack, meaning I'm giving you the gospel. You believe in me. You follow. You obey. You do these things. But there's one little part. There's one thing that you're lacking. Why? Because the gospel is bigger than you think. Mark's showing us here. He's giving us an example of this in in, in the story of Jesus. He says, then come follow me after you've given all this away. In verse 22, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad, 
for he had great wealth. Now, at that verse, a lot of us are sitting there thinking, what an idiot. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, this guy had the opportunity to follow Jesus around, and all he had to do was give his possessions away, and he could just follow Jesus, have faith in Jesus, trust Jesus, see miracles every single day, have faith grow up inside of him. It was an amazing, amazing opportunity for him in his life to simply follow Jesus, and we would take that opportunity as we're reading this story, putting ourselves in his shoes. We think, what a loser. Why would you not give up the house or give up the car or give up whatever because he had wealth and you think I would never do that I I would never put wealth in front of Jesus can I ask you something who are the wealthiest people in the world sitting right in front of me I'm not talking about the United States as a a country yes we're the we're the wealthiest country in the world I'm asking who are the wealthiest people in the world you are I'll tell you why People talk uh, in political scenes and debates, all that. They talk about that certain politics, they cater to the 99 and they forget about the 1%. You know, like there's the 99%, they're the important, and the 1% just gets left behind. That's what people, politicians, that's what they want you to believe. In the world today, guess who the 1% is? You. If you have a checking account, you are wealthier than 92% of the people in the world. I'm talking six, seven, eight billion people. You are wealthier simply by having a checking account with your name on it. You're wealthier than they are. If you have three meals a day, you're wealthier than 93% of the world. Most of the world, as a matter of fact, most of the world in in, uh, uh, Africa, in third world countries, obviously, they live on a dollar a day. That does not mean that our dollar equals their $100. That means if I gave you a dollar right now and said you have this to live off of, this to pay for food, this to pay for a bottle of water, whatever it is, they live off a dollar. Our spending power, a dollar a day. Most of us, that's not where we are. See, the issue that I bring for you today is that most churches can measure themselves, and some people measure churches by how many seats, how many uh, tails are in the seats, how many people fill up the building, how many pews are being filled up, how great the worship team is, how great the speaker is, whatever. That's how we measure churches. Can I tell you how God measures churches? By the gospel according to Jesus, he, we should measure churches because he measured churches by the reach and by the, 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 the arm and by the changing of the community in the city. That's how Jesus ranks your church. Not by how many seats you can fill up, but are you changing people around you when you walk out these doors? That's how Jesus looks at your church. That's the gospel. Giving what you have to the least, not only in the world, but in this community. And I'll get to that in just a second. And I don't want you to feel guilty because you just bought a boat or you just bought an awesome truck or you just bought a house or you, you, know, you have all these great things. And, and I'm not asking you to feel guilty about that because that's not the point of today. I'm not asking you to go and be irresponsible with your bills and your family. I'm just going to give it all away and my kids are just going to be left in poverty. I'm not asking you to do any of that. I'm simply asking you to give what you have to the least of your community. Why? Because it's the gospel. That's why. It's bigger than you think. The gospel is not a center, inward-focused teaching. The gospel is something that once you have received the salvation, once you've received the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness, there should be a natural outflow and outpouring to the people around you that they need exactly what you have just received. That's the gospel according to Mark. You should change your community if you believe in the gospel. 
Did you know that South Carolina is one of the poorest states in the nation? South Carolina itself, one of the poorest states in the nation. Here's how I know that. There's close to a million people below what the, what the definition of the poverty line is. Now, the poverty line is about, uh, I want to say it's about 28 or 27, it depends on the state, 28, 27, $26,000. If you make below that, you're considered in poverty. That, that, that's the definition of poverty. So, according to the statistics that I have read, South Carolina, you are in the 47th out of 50th place, according to some studies. You have almost a million people in South Carolina that live below the poverty line. That means they have a hard time buying groceries. That means they have a hard time putting gas in their car. That means they have a hard time uh, uh, making uh, babysitters, daycare, all the kind of stuff that we do on a normal basis. A million people in South Carolina. Do you know how many people are in the state of South Carolina? Last last poll taken, a little over 5 million. That means one-fifth of every person that you see is living below that poverty line. When you walk down the street, one-fifth of all the people that you see are living that way. And let's take it in a smaller spectrum, a smaller scope. Did you know that in Lee County, where's Lee County? Right next door. Lee County is one of the poorest counties in the state of South Carolina. One of the poorest. Lee County is is at a place where almost uh, 20% of the people in Lee County are living below the poverty line. Matter of fact, the the average income in Lee County is $22,000 a year. That's the average. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of kids in your local community, in Kershaw County, in Lee County, and all the other counties surrounding. There are countless kids that are going without food from Friday to Monday because they depend on a government school system to feed their families, to feed their children. What have they done this summer when school wasn't there? Maybe they came and had the school lunches that were offered by the government, but I'm saying from Friday lunch or Friday snack time until Monday morning breakfast, there are thousands of children. I know this because I've done the research. Thousands of children within a 50-mile radius of this place that do not eat over the weekend. Can I tell you something? The gospel is about them. The gospel is about what God has given you, you give to the least. What God has endowed to you, you give of yourself and give to the least. And these kids that are all hungry, I'm not talking about Liberia. I'm not talking about Nigeria. I'm not talking about Afghanistan. I'm not talking about China. I'm talking about right in your backyard, there are kids that are going hungry over the weekend. There are kids, there are families that cannot make ends meet. Can I tell you something? The gospel is about that. The gospel is about serving. The gospel is about giving of what you have. And yes, we need a saving from our sin. And yes, we need a saving from our pride and all those things. But once you have been touched from God and you have been saved, as I said, there should be a natural outflow, outpouring of love, forgiveness, and serving given to the people around you. And if you don't get that, listen to me, you don't get the gospel, you don't get Jesus, you're not following Jesus. And if I don't get that, I'm not following Jesus. That's the challenge that Mark is presenting us here. That it's not just about you and your ticket to heaven. It's about people around you that you can influence and that you can give the love of Christ to them as well. Musicians, if you would come. This, this thought of the gospel's not just about me, but it's about other people as well, it has absolutely changed my life. It's absolutely changed our church. 
It's absolutely changed our relationship, our my marriage, and how we view our finances. Is is how we view uh, all the, everything changes when you realize the gospel is not just about you, but it's about other people too. Everything will change because that's the transforming power of the gospel. Mark chapter 10, the disciples still are not getting it. Mark 10, 42, uh, turn your attention to the screens. It says this, it says in Mark 10, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers or Gentiles lord it over them. They ruled over them. They're high officials exercising authority. But Jesus says, not so with you. If you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, not so with you. That, that's not how we roll. We don't try to be the spiritually elite. That's what Jesus is saying. We don't try to say, I'm better than you because I go to church and I wear a button down and cool glasses. That, that, that's, not, that's not what he, he's saying. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. This next verse has changed our church, has changed me as a pastor, and because of that, I believe that God is going to change Jefferson, Georgia, and Jackson County, because I was called. There are missionaries called to foreign mission fields, and that's great, but I'm a missionary called to Jackson County. Guess what? You're a missionary called to Kershaw, and Elgin, and Lee, and Columbia. Based on this verse, I want, you, I want this verse just to sink into your life. I don't ever want you to forget this verse, because this is the gospel. He says, for the, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, and he could have. He could have been the king riding in on a triumphant horse. He could have been the king to overthrow. He could have been the king that asked everybody to serve him. But the king of heaven, the God of heaven, the Son of God, perfect in form in every single way that never did anything wrong, he came down to this earth not to be served, but to serve, to serve you. To, to be at your beck and call, to be at your disposal, the king that created everything we see around us, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. I'm telling you, the gospel according to Jesus, it not only changes me, but it changes people around me, and that's exactly what should happen. My question is, the gospel that you believe in, is it changing people that you come into contact with or is it just something that you've kept on the inside? Because when you serve, you change the lives of people. I've got two stories and I'm going to just run through them real quick. I've got two stories I want to tell you and I'm done. But this is, this is the message, this is the gospel, this is what happens when you understand the gospel is not just about me, it's not just about forgiving my sins and my ticket to heaven, thank God for all those things, but there is so much more because the gospel is bigger than you think. The first story I want to talk to you about is a story I found in Athens Banner Herald in Athens, Georgia. There was a, a boy that wrote a letter to the Chamber of Commerce, and he said, I want to brag on somebody. He, there was a man named Rusty. Rusty heard the message of serving. He heard the message of Mark 10, 45, to not be served, but to serve other people, regarding people, another passage says, regarding people higher than yourself. He heard that message, and he wanted to start serving. So guess what he did? Here's an example. Guess what he did? He went to the local elementary school. Hello, somebody. He went to the local middle school, and he found one person. And he said, I want to mentor that person. I want, I want to help them. I want to be the father figure, the friend, whatever they need. That's what I want to be. So the counselors directed him to a young man named Westervelt. 
Westervelt was a man with no father, no, no manly figure in his life, was doing poorly in school, and the counselor said, we think he's a good boy. He just needs some help. Would you go help him? And so Rusty began to mentor, serve, began to serve Westervelt. Westervelt wrote a letter, and this is what he said. He said, I was, he, Rusty, he, was very friendly to me when I first met Rusty, and that, uh, that's exactly what I needed the most. He's helped me with my homework, my schoolwork, and he taught me how to treat people nice and with respect, and he listens to me when I need to talk to someone, and he helps me with my problems. I'm telling you, there are kids that need help with their problems, right? You've, there's, there's kids that need help with their problems, and you can serve them and help them. Since I began working with Rusty, I've had much better attitude toward my friends and teachers in life. I've learned that my own persona- about my own personality, and, and Rusty has shown me good things about it. Because you see, with a lot of these kids, when they get raised, they get raised, don't do this, you're wrong, you're a brat, you're a snot-nosed little kid, whatever, get out, get away, get out of my face, that kind of thing. A lot of children are not told the good things about them. The things that God has blessed them with, the gifts that God, a lot of kids, they don't, they don't hear that. But Rusty wanted to show that to him. Before I met Rusty, I didn't like to work with others. I would fight, and I would, be, I, would, I, I would be by myself a lot. I would eat lunch by myself a lot. Since I've had Rusty, I've learned to work well with others and help share and be a good friend. My grades used to be very bad. Westervelt almost flunked fifth grade. Rusty came into his life midway through his fifth grade year, and there was an instant change in his grades. He almost flunked fifth grade. He says, but now I do well in school. Rusty has taught me to respect myself, respect others. I used to talk back and be rude to my teachers. Any teachers in the house going to get an amen? I used to be rude to my teachers and other adults. But Rusty has showed me that it does not feel good to have others be mean to me or not respect me. So I need to be nice to them, respectful, and help my teachers, adults, and my peers. One thing that I've been able to achieve since Rusty started working with me good grades. I made the honor roll for the first time in sixth grade. That might not get you, but that gets me, that gets me, you know, because somebody heard the gospel and wanted to serve somebody that maybe didn't deserve help. He made the honor roll for the first time in sixth grade. I've read this story a thousand times. It always gets me. I'm sorry. He says, I've also made it again in seventh grade. And I'm very proud of this accomplishment. He wrote this letter when he was in eighth grade. Rusty's also taught me how to work hard and believe in myself so that I could become a starter on my school's football team. And as a starter, I have a chance to teach others and be a leader. He never thought he had the capacity to be a leader until somebody stepped in and served him and loved him. He never thought he could do that. I've also been able to successfully get several girlfriends. <laughs> And keep them, hopefully not at the same time, because I've learned how to treat them nice and be a gentleman. Men, there are people in this school, there's men, there's boys in this school that need to learn what Rusty taught Westervelt. Ladies, there's, there's girls in this school that need to learn what Rusty told Westervelt and taught him. Rusty and I have also been able to do many fun things together that I would not have been able to do were it not that he were my mentor and my father figure. We've also been able to attend many University of Georgia football games. And everybody said amen, right? Rusty's a man that heard the gospel. 
the full gospel, the real gospel, the gospel bigger than you think kind of gospel, that it's not just about me, it's about other people. And if you are going to be a part of this church and continue to, to, to go forward with Pastor Brandon and his staff and move forward, you've got to see that serving is not a part, it's not a part of just a good lifestyle, it's a part of the core message of Jesus. Just like salvation, just like heaven, just like the Holy Spirit's here to empower you, serving is part of the gospel message of Jesus. And when you take that into account, it will, not can, not might, it will change people around you for the gospel. One more story and I'm done. There's an organization called YWAM. Anybody ever heard of YWAM? It's called Youth with a Mission. There's a lady there named Lauren Cunningham. And she told a story one time about an organization, YWAM, that went to Nigeria. And there's a city there called uh, Port Hardcourt. At Port Hardcourt, they were having a problem. There were these students that went to the university, and they were so upset and so mad at the government. Now, this is the gospel changing, not just somebody, but watch this. This is the gospel changing a nation that, that they went to the city of Port Hardcourt, and they set up a YWAM center. And in that city... Um, the, the, the students of the local university got so mad at the government for taxes and raising the gas prices and making food impossible to buy. They got so mad that they began looting and stealing ammunition, guns, warfare uh, items, uh, in addition to gas and food and things like that. And they began distributing it to the poor. But over time, these group of students became more and more powerful, and they became what's called as guerrilla terrorists. That's what they were. And they set up a section in Nigeria where not even the government with the armies and soldiers and weapons that they had, they would not even enter in this, this area because they knew the area so well that it was almost spelling out certain death to walk into this area. There was a boy named Alex that spent a year with YWAM at Court Hard Court in Nigeria. And he felt the Holy Spirit tell him, I want you to go love and serve the guerrilla terrorists. That makes no sense. That, that, makes no, that makes no sense. That would be like God saying for us to go serve ISIS. God telling us to go serve, but God told him to go serve the guerrilla terrorists. So with permission from, the, the, the permission through prayer and, and time of, of, of prayer, they'd realize this is exactly what God has us to do. So 10, listen to me, 10 college students, not adults, 10 college students, walked into the jungles of Nigeria and entered the the camp of the guerrilla terrorists at gunpoint. And as they got there, they said, what do you want? We're going to kill you if we don't like the answer. And with shaking, they were scared. And the, the, the record says that, that some of them were shaking so bad they couldn't talk. But Alex stood up and he said, we don't want anything. Our God has told us to serve you. And if we serve you, we think we can change you. We want to clean your uniforms. We want to cook for you. The outhouses you use, we want to clean those. We want to do everything that you would normally do. We want to serve you, and it's because God has told us to. So they let him do it. They let it go by. It had been a month, maybe, a, maybe close to a year. I forget the exact time frame. But as they gained their trust, listen to me, as they gained their trust, they told this group, because we like you, we like you cleaning our clothes, and we like you cooking our food. You do a pretty mean hamburger. I don't know what they eat over there. But, you know, we, 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 we like what you're doing. we got to tell you something. There's a man in our camp that's possessed. 
He's, he's possessed. He, he has uh, some type of demon, something's going on with him. And every time he goes into a trance, he does not leave. Listen to me. He does not leave until he tastes blood. He kills somebody and he tastes their blood. And that's the only, and they said he's done it time and time again. And it's gotten to a place where when he goes into a trance, we've tried to restrain him. We try to do everything. He's so strong and he, and he always gets out of our traps, everything like that. When he gets, goes into a trance, everybody just starts running. He said, so when he goes into a trance, run. That's what they told these students. Okay, fine, no problem. One day they're cleaning and the documented story goes from Lauren Cunningham, the documented story goes that everybody started running from the center of the camp going into the, going into the woods. And when they were looking around trying to figure out what happened, the, somebody told Alex, told the group, you need to run. The man went into a trance. You got to get as far away from here as possible until he kills somebody. Alex said the Spirit of the Lord came so strongly inside of me that I wasn't scared. And he said, I walked to the center of that camp and I stood there and I stood eye to eye with the man that was in a trance. And he said, the man had all kinds of different facial features. It just, just, you could tell something was going on and he looked straight at Alex and he said, you thought you came here to do good, but I'm gonna kill you where you stand. Alex said, you're not gonna kill me, but where you stand, Jesus is gonna heal you. And at the mention of the name of Jesus, that man fell to the ground. The demons left his life. He gave his life to Jesus. That day, because of what the camp saw, 300 guerrilla terrorists gave up their arms, gave up their ammunitions, gave their life to Jesus, walked back into Port Hardcourt, and gave themselves up to the authorities saying we were wrong. After that day, 600 more that following week continued to come in, all because of what Jesus had done, all because of what a young group of people had done through the power of Jesus to serve a community. That serving, that gospel message changed an entire nation what do you think it's going to do to Elgin what do you think it's going to do to Kershaw and Lee and South Carolina what do you think it's going to do if you understand that this gospel message is not about you walking out that door and having a good life it's about you walking out that door and helping somebody else find Jesus by serving them. That's what the gospel is. It's a lot bigger than you thought it was walking through that door, I hope. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? I'm asking today that we had people in the audience this morning that didn't know Jesus. And so I'm not gonna take into consideration, I'm going to take into consideration that there are people here today, you don't know who Jesus is. And the gospel message starts with understanding the love, the affection, the mercy, and the forgiving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And he wants to save you from that life. He wants to save you from your eternity in hell. He wants to save you in those moments and allow you to live a different life altogether. Because some of you here are sick of the way you're living. Some of you here are sick of the way your life has been turning out. And it's time to give your life over to Jesus. Salvation simply means surrender. I'm going to surrender my life to God today. If that's you, 
and you want to surrender your life to God today for the first time, or you want to rededicate yourself. I've gone so far away from this gospel message, I don't even know what it looks like anymore. I want to rededicate my life to him today. If that's you, between you and God, I simply want you to repeat a prayer that I speak, but I want you to mean it in your heart, mean it with your life. It is a turning point moment of your life right now. But your church family is going to help you because they're going to repeat it with you. So everybody in the room, if you would, please repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I've messed up. I'm a bad person. But right now, none of that matters because I'm giving my life to you today. I surrender my agenda and I follow you. Thank you for loving me and wanting me and coming after me. Thank you for your blood. I received the gift of salvation today. I recommit my life to you today. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer, would you just, would you just signify that by just giving me eye contact just between me and you and God? Would you signify that by just giving me eye contact to say, Pastor Nick, I gave my life to Jesus today. Is that you right there? Yeah, I see you. Is that you right there? I see both of you. Bless God. There's two. Anybody else? Three? Anybody else? Say, I'm recommitting or I gave my life to Jesus today. Four. Anybody else? Come on, church. Anybody else? Four. Five. Anybody else? Come on. Six. Anybody else? Come on. I'm giving my life to Jesus today. Before we move forward, I want to just ask you as you remain reverent, if you gave your life to Jesus, there's a table in the back that I want you to go and they're going to pray with you. They're going to be happy for you. They're going to clap for you. You're going to give them some, they're going to tell you your next steps in faith today. I want to ask you to do that. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, let's let me pray this before we go. Father, for this community, it does not know what's about to hit them. It does not know what's about to happen to them. Elgin, this school, Blaney Elementary School, the high school, the middle school next door, it does not know what's about to hit them because this community, this church body, these people right here have heard the full gospel message that it's not about them, but it's about what can I do for other people because Mark 10:45 says that you did not come to be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many. So in the name of Jesus, I'm asking that you would be with them. I'm asking you would encourage them. I'm asking you to help this staff, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Travis, Pastor Chris, Pastor Shannon. I'm asking that you would help them, bring them alongside, encourage them, God, to lead a church, a community that changes the world. Thank you so much for all that you're doing in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you joined us today at the Radiate Church Podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry in any way, let us know. Send us an email at youmatter at radiatechurch.net to share how God is working in your life. Join us in reaching others by investing today at radiatechurch.net slash give. Also, if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast so that you can receive weekly messages delivered right to your phone. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.